the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. A couple of the things that Isaiah tells us is, number one, that it will be a time of unprecedented peace. They have to imagine, of course it will, because Jesus is going to be on the throne. I know this might get a little applause, and maybe rightfully so, but Jesus is on the throne, and he's going to be ruling and reigning the world from Jerusalem. There will be no more government in Washington, D.C. Okay. And there will be no more government in any other nation, because there's going to be one king, and his name is Jesus, and he's going to rule the whole world. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. The second coming of Jesus is going to be fierce and glorious. He will come and wage war against nations opposing Israel, and he will gather his children to him. Today, Pastor Gary takes you to Ezekiel to show you what was revealed to this prophet about the end times. You will see that Jesus will also mark the beginning of the 1,000-year reign, where there will be peace and Satan will be bound. Jesus Christ and His glory are the beauty that will adorn the sanctuary of the new temple in those times. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, as he continues his message, Israel and the End Times. This is what Ezekiel's talking about here in these last few chapters. He's talking about the thousand-year period of time when Christ returns to the earth, the saints with him, battle of Armageddon done, all the nations opposed to him defeated. He separates the righteous from the unrighteous, and now we rule and reign with him, the saints who have returned with Jesus on earth for a thousand years. After this, there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's not for today's Bible study. People who accept Christ during the seven years of tribulation, it's possible to accept him during that time period, will enter into the millennial kingdom and basically live out the rest of their lives like normal. But the saints who return with Jesus will rule and reign with him for that thousand years. This is what Ezekiel is seeing. God is showing him way in advance. I mean, he's 6th century BC. He's seeing things beyond our time. And he's looking ahead to this day when Christ returns. Where do we fit in with all of that? Listen again. If you die knowing Christ as your Savior, or if you are raptured knowing Christ as your Savior... You will be kept in heaven, and then we will return with the Lord, all right? Or either that, or a person can get saved during the seven years of tribulation and come into the millennial reign of Christ and live out their normal life, all right? But that's where we will be in there somewhere 
either returning with him or if you're not saved already, getting saved during the tribulation period and entering the millennial reign, living out your life as normal. Again, like the last few many chapters of Ezekiel has been, as I've been teaching, it's like, you know, I know you think you're drinking out of a fire hose. I get that. And I wish it was just a garden hose, but you know, there's a lot of information, but it's important for you to know this. Okay. It's important for us to have our hearts prepared and to know there's going to be the rapture of the church. God's going to take us home. He's going to come again. He's going to rule and reign on the earth. You need to be equipped to know this. Frankly, for personal reasons, I don't want to be embarrassed. All right? Because there's going to be a day, all right? If you know Christ is your Savior, don't go, Jesus, I didn't know you were coming again. I didn't know that. Because then he's going to say, what church do you go to? All right? So you need to know this. We all need to know this. He's coming again. And so let's talk about how things will be different, absent, and present. Revelation 20, verse 6 says, the saints will be priests of God and of Christ, and we will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, it's interesting that Ezekiel tells us in chapter 44, verse 15, that the actual priests who will serve during the millennial period of time will only be Jewish believers, specifically who are of the tribe of Levi through the descendants of Aaron and Zadok. God is very specific here in Ezekiel 44, verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me. And so it appears in the Bible that when the Lord returns, Jewish believers will serve as priests, or at least some of them will be assigned, those who are descendants of Aaron through Zadok, will be assigned as priests to serve the Lord in spiritual matters and ministry. And then other believers, meaning Gentiles, will help him serving under our Lord Jesus to administrate the rest of the world, to help rule and reign with him. That in other words, we, the saints will be serving as governors and be responsible as like mayors of territories and areas. So that's going to be our assignment during the millennial reign. That's how we're going to rule and reign with him. And just so you know, I'm just letting you know in advance, I already have Bermuda, all right? I already have Bermuda. I put it in years ago, and um, it's been approved. So that's where I'm going to be. Now, what will be different here? Ezekiel does not spend too much talking about life itself and how it will be different during the millennial reign. He talks more specifically about the temple. But other prophets do talk about how life will be different during the millennial reign. Isaiah, in particular, has more to say about what life will be like than really just about any other prophet. And a couple of the things that Isaiah tells us is, number one, that it will be a time of unprecedented peace. They have to imagine, of course it will, because Jesus is going to be on the throne. I know this might get a little applause, and maybe rightfully so, but Jesus is on the throne, and he's going to be ruling and reigning the world from Jerusalem. There will be no more government in Washington, D.C., okay? And there will be no more government in any other nation because there's going to be one king and his name is Jesus and he's going to rule the whole world. Okay, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. So you can imagine with Jesus being king and ruling the whole world, there's going to be unprecedented peace. Even so much so that Isaiah writes in chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, that the animal kingdom will be at peace within itself and at peace with human beings such that children, it tells us, in Isaiah 11, will play with snakes and not be bitten. Isaiah also tells us it'll be a time of longevity. People will live a lot longer than they presently live. In Isaiah 65, 20, he says, he who dies at a hundred will be a mere youth. 
But in other ways, life will be very similar to how it is now. For believers who survive the tribulation period and they go into the millennial period, they will be living their lives pretty much as usual. They will be getting married. They will have families. They will be working jobs. They will be building homes. And they will settle down just like we do now. It's not yet heaven on earth. There's a new heaven and a new earth that comes after the thousand years. But that thousand years, you have to try to imagine. King Jesus on the throne, a time of peace, a time of longevity. People are still working jobs, getting married, living life pretty much as usual. But it'll be a very different feel. And during this time, Revelation chapter 20 tells us that Satan will be bound for that thousand years. And you better applaud that as much as you did Washington, D.C., being absent. Satan's going to be bound for that thousand years. He's going to be let out again, the Bible says, to try to deceive the nations one last time, and then he'll be thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented forever and ever. But try to imagine a world without Satan. I mean, now, it doesn't mean the world will be absent of sin because people who survive the tribulation and come into the millennial reign will still have sin nature. So people will still be sinning and saying stupid things and tweeting dumb things and all this kind of stuff. But you have to imagine the level of evil a lot less without the influence of Satan. Crime a lot less without the influence of Satan. No more wars. No more wars under King Jesus. One united world under our Lord. The laws will all be righteous. Everything will be in a state of utopia in some ways. And and so life will be very different while Satan is bound for those thousand years. Something else very different. Ezekiel tells us that the Old Testament sacrifices will be reinstated. Now, this seems bizarre at first, but I want you to read the passage with me, and then I'll explain. Go backwards to chapter 43. I'm going to have you jump all over these last few chapters here, but back to chapter 43, verses 18 to 21. And he said to me, Ezekiel said, the Lord said to him, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is made for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for sprinkling blood on it. You shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites who are of the seed of Zadok, who approach me to minister to me, says the Lord God. You shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim around it. Thus you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it. Then you shall also take the bull of the sin offering and burn it in the appointed place of the temple outside the sanctuary. Your attention, please. So this seems bizarre at first glance. Why in the world would we revisit the Old Testament sacrifices, seeing that Jesus has come, died for our sins, been raised again, now rules and reigns for a thousand years? Here's the reason why. The Old Testament sacrifices that the Jews practiced were implemented as a way to provide temporary atonement for their sins until such time that Christ could be revealed on the cross. When Christ was revealed, he became the permanent sacrifice for all people, for all times, for all sins. So when the people in the Old Testament were sacrificing animals, they were looking ahead to the cross. They were looking forward to the cross by sacrificing these animals. During the millennial reign, when the sacrifices are brought back, it will be for the purpose of not looking forward, but for looking backwards and remembering the cross. Because for the people who are born during this millennial period of time, they are disconnected from the cross and from the sacrifice. So here's Jesus ruling and reigning in the temple, and he calls them to make sacrifices looking back 
to have a tangible reminder of what Christ did for us on the cross. The sacrifices don't save anybody. They never did. The sacrifices were a way of looking forward in the Old Testament and in the millennial period, looking backward to the cross. In a similar way, think about it. When we have communion here, when we share the Lord's Supper together, what are we doing? We're looking back to the cross. We're reminding ourselves of what Christ did for us in the past for our sins in the present and in the future. So it's something that they will practice in memoriam, in reminder and in memory of what Christ has done in celebration of what he's done. That's for the people who are living during the millennial reign. We who return with Christ, we're already in our glorified bodies. We're not a part of this. We're just helping him as priests, Jewish believers, and as administrators, Gentile believers around the world. Another thing that's going to be very different. The Bible says here in Ezekiel chapter 47 that the Dead Sea will become fresh water. Go to chapter 47. Let me show this to you real quickly. The Bible says to us in the prophet Zechariah and also here in Ezekiel that there will be a freshwater river that starts in Jerusalem from under the south side of the temple and flows south into the Dead Sea. So here in chapter 47, verses 8 through 12, this is where Ezekiel sees this. Verse 8, then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, the Dead Sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river goes will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi, which is a spot down by the Dead Sea that we visit when we go on tours, to Engalem, and they will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, meaning the Mediterranean, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. So the marshy area will still stay salty, but the body of the water will become fresh. And verse 12, along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. So your attention, the entire desert region of the Dead Sea will be completely transformed because fresh water will flow from Jerusalem down the Jordan Valley into the Dead Sea, making it fresh water. Now, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on the face of the earth. It is also the saltiest body on the face of the earth. Next to it is the Great Salt Lake in Utah, which is about 17% salinity. The Dead Sea is 37% salinity. It's 10 times the salinity of the ocean. The ocean is 3.5% salinity. The Dead Sea, 37%. And the Bible says it's going to become fresh water. You know, when we go down to the Dead Sea on our different tours to Israel, those of you who have been with me, you get a chance to swim in it. It's like swimming in hot, oily jello. That's about the best way I can describe it. And because of the high salt content, it finds every nook and cranny in your body (laughs) as an antiseptic. All right? But it's very medicinal, too. The properties are very medicinal. My dermatologist told me years ago that before the advancement of medical treatment for eczema, which now they can do with, like, light therapy, 
they used to have to do this very expensive treatment for people who suffered from terrible eczema. She said it was cheaper for her patients to fly down to the Dead Sea and spend a week and get treatment by swimming in the Dead Sea than the medical treatments that we had here. So the medicinal properties are pretty incredible even now, the Dead Sea. A lot of people go down there for its properties. But one day, it's going to become fresh water. Ezekiel says during the millennial period, it will be fresh water. So what I tell people is, if you want to get a corner on the market, you want to start a business, start a bait and tackle shop down by the Dead Sea. They will laugh at you now, but I guarantee you it's going to make you some money in the days to come. Number two, what will be absent? Real quickly, what will be absent during this time? The Lord shows Ezekiel a vision of inside the temple. And inside the temple, there are some things that are conspicuously missing. And what he shows him in chapter 41 is a bunch of measurements about the interior of the temple and the entrance to the temple and the width of the temple and all of this. And in chapter 41, verses 3 and 4, he says also, He went inside and measured the doorpost, two cubits, and the entrance, six cubits high, and the width of the entrance, seven cubits. And he he measured the length, 20 cubits, and the width, 20 cubits, beyond the sanctuary. And he said to me, this is the most holy place. One of the things that is very noticeable about what is absent in the new temple is no curtain. There used to be, in Solomon's temple, Ezra's temple, there used to be a curtain that separated the most holy place, which was visited by the presence of God, the glory of God, from the holy place, which was the rest of the sanctuary. Only the priest could go into the most holy place through that curtain. There is no curtain in the new temple that Jesus will occupy. And the reason is because Jesus has abolished that curtain. That curtain was a symbol of the fact that there was a disconnect and a distance between God and man. But Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20 says that Jesus opened up for us a new and living way through the curtain that is his body. No need for a curtain anymore. In fact, many of the articles are missing in this new temple. There is no silver or gold in the new temple. David contributed 100,000 talents of his own gold into the lining of the interior of the temple that Solomon built. 100,000 talents of gold is the equivalent of 3,750 tons of gold. That's $50 billion in today's time. David dedicated no silver, no gold, because Jesus in his glory is the beauty that adorns the sanctuary. No table of showbread because Jesus is the bread of life. No menorah in this new temple because Jesus is the light of the world. No ark of the covenant because Jesus is the mercy seat. He is our atonement. And finally, number three, what will be present? What will be present is the very presence of the glory of the Lord. One last verse, go to chapter 44, verse 4. In chapter 44, verse 4, it says this, also he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. So I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord and I fell on my face. Ezekiel is undone by this vision. He saw back in chapter 10, the glory of the Lord depart the temple. God told him in chapter 8, the reason was because of the idolatry and perversion of the people. But now, Ezekiel has the privilege of seeing in the future the glory of the Lord returning the very same way that his glory departed. 
It is a statement of the mercy of our Lord. He will return to the place where he at one point was not honored, not wanted, but he continued to pursue his people. He continues to pursue you and me. And the glory of the Lord shall one day return to the city of Jerusalem and to the world by his very presence. It's a terrible thing when the presence of the Lord is no longer in a place. Even in his omnipresence, God can choose to withdraw his glory from a place where he is not honored and not wanted. His glory had departed from the temple because the people had defiled themselves with idolatry and perversion. And God will remove his presence where there is unrepentant compromise. One of the worst examples of this story in the Bible is the story of Samson. Many of you are familiar with his story. He was a man of great physical strength, but terrible moral weakness. He had a real love for women more than he loved God. His desire for women mastered him more than the Lord was his master. And most of you know the story how Delilah, one of the women that he lusted after, played him for the fool. She made a deal with the Philistines, the perennial enemy of the Israelites. For a sum of money, I will find out the secret of his strength so that you can subdue him. His strength was really not because he was a gym rat. His strength was from the Lord. His strength was supernatural. But when he compromised his life, that supernatural strength of the Lord waned. And when Delilah had worn him down time and again from what's the reason, what's the reason, what's the reason, he finally gave her this symbol of his strength, symbol only. The strength was from the Lord, but it was his hair that he had not cut as a vow to God, that he was consecrated to God. And when she cut his hair while he was sleeping, one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible is Judges chapter 16 and verse 20. It says, when he awoke, he thought that he would go out and subdue the Philistines, just like he had always done before. But Judges 16, 20, the last part of it says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. If you feel the absence of the Lord's presence, the good news is that in his mercy, he does not stay angry forever. He will return to the place that he had departed from. The return of the Lord is a reminder of the glory of the Lord. But we need to humble ourselves. We need to get right with God. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. Micah says, you do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Do you know that your Father in heaven delights to show you mercy? If you feel estranged from him, there's no reason to, because he's delighting to show mercy to those who would humble themselves and return to him. Listen, I don't know when Jesus is going to come again. But our time is shorter and shorter every day that passes until his imminent return. If you're not right with him, get right with him. Because he's coming again. He's going to take the church. He's going to rapture us. Then he's going to come to earth for a second time. He's going to defeat the armies that are opposed to Israel and to the God of Israel. And then he's going to set up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. Listen, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, No eye has seen. No ear has heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man what God 
has prepared for them that love him. God has prepared things for us, and he is giving us a glimpse of these things in Scripture here, that we would be ready, watching, hopeful, and longing for his return. Amen? That's all we have time for today. Our study through the book of Ezekiel is not complete, and there's more to gain from this complex book of prophecy. We're so thankful that you've joined us to understand the Word more. We trust Cornerstone Connection is a blessing to you. Pastor Gary has more to share from Ezekiel, but for now, you can explore his teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find a list of messages available under the Teachings tab, and feel free to download them. We have a mobile app as well. Just click on the go. This is a convenient way to take the word with you wherever you might be. If you happen to live in the Leesburg area, we want to meet you. We have several weekend services at Cornerstone Chapel, where we spend time in worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Look for service times under the About tab on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you live further away and can't make it to one of our services in person, come join us virtually. We live stream each gathering on our website. Well, our time is up for today, but thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next time when we continue studying through the book of Ezekiel with Pastor Gary right here on Cornerstone Connection. But still you know, but still you know, you're not.